Hello and welcome to the Inspire Group podcast. I'm here today with uh, with a virtual friend, Andre Hedstrom, founder and CEO of Sweetrush, or co-founder, should I say, with Arturos. Yep. Well, welcome, Andre. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. It's a pleasure to uh, join the Inspire podcast. I think this is only my second podcast I've ever done, so I'm, I'm oh. a newbie. Well, I've but done I'm a few. I, I can't sound that good at it, and I kind of tend to wander and waffle, so... Yeah. <laughs> I think you know that already. Yeah. Hey, um, and, and how are things in, in California with you guys at the moment? Yeah, it's, um, you know, mixed bag like everywhere else. I think, you know, a lot of people are talking about the, you know, the blessings that come with this provided mm-hmm. you get sick. Um, um, but also, you know, people struggling and stressed. And I live in a small town and um, Northern California up in the Redwoods. So it's, um, you know, small town drama and, you know, this shop wants to open up even though they're not supposed to, these guys don't want them to, you know, so that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a mixed bag and, and hard times, obviously for a lot of reasons. Um, but you know, we, we're trying to keep our chin up and keep Mm. positive Mm. and do the right things to protect our family and our business. And, um you know create what comes next yeah yeah i, I saw a um a posting you made about i don't know maybe six weeks ago and uh, on facebook you know talking about the opportunities that this kind of presents and and what um, new world can be created and I, I guess you guys have got a challenge without getting too much into politics but you know the yeah. the political <laughs> will to to want to take that going forward but i hope maybe there'll be a change in november yeah, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's have that be the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, what well, I've known you for a while. I've never met you in person. I, I often use you as an example. You, you know, people say, "Oh, you know, virtual meetings and virtual this and virtual that." And I said, oh, "I know this guy Andre in, in in the states, and he runs this company called Sweet Rush. And I've never met him in person, but I feel like we kind of know each other, and we can. Yeah. I don't think we've ever had a beer together, but um, yeah, to I mean, one that. day maybe we should, right? <laughs> um. So, but I, I've, I've never asked you, I don't think, um, as much as I can remember, what kind of, what, what was your journey? I know you were in the armed services, but how, how did you find yourself in this kind of learning kind of gig? Uh, through relationships, really. Um, you know, yeah, I, I um, went into the military uh, straight out of high school, was in the Persian Gulf War, um, came back from that, you know, struggled with that experience mm-hmm. and, you um, you know, the way I came out of it was just deciding that I wanted the rest of my life to be about, you know, positive things. And so, so you went, you went in there straight out of school. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, w- I enlisted when I was 17, went in when I was 18. Um, you know, I, I always liked learning, but I didn't, um, I didn't really like conventional learning. So yeah. I, you know, I got out of, you know, high school with a D average, which is just passing, you know, basically. <laughs> and uh, I, so I, smart I guy, Andre. What, what yeah, I was ready for more school. <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And at the time, you know, the world was a different place and joining the army was a way to get skills and get money mm-hmm. for college and, you know, not necessarily to fight. Um, that's, ended up being what what i did but when i came out of it i 
you know, that experience really convinced me I wanted to make the rest of my life about something different. I wanted to, you know, really kind of elevate life um, and and serve, you know, serve yeah. in a different capacity. So I went down a path of uh, religious studies with an intent to become a minister. And um, um, after college, um, I married a woman who I'd known since I was 13. And uh, we, um, and so that kind of interrupted my plans to go to seminary in Cambridge in England. And uh, instead I went to a pastoral counseling, a, a master's of science in, in counseling uh, in uh, Baltimore yeah. at Loyola um, University. And that really changed my idea of service. And for sure, I had had come to the conclusion I didn't want to become an ordained minister. I, I became very curious about other uh, wisdom traditions and other religions, began studying those. And I, I found, you know, early on that I really liked the act of acquiring wisdom and then making it um, practical, you know, finding good uses for it. <clears throat> and um, a lot of those uses were artistic, uh, painting, writing, um, trying to communicate what I had, was learning, what I was passionate about, and, um, you know, studied writing a bit more. And we ended up back in the Bay Area, my wife and I, right before um, 2000 rolled around. And of course, the Bay Area at that time was exploding with yeah. dot com and uh, information technology. And so I made the decision. I just I just wanted to write. I want to get paid to write to communicate ideas and ended up getting a job uh, doing white papers for IBM, which I didn't know the single thing about, you know, DB2 yeah. and databases. <laughs> um, but it was a great experience. And in that process, I met my uh, current business partner, Arturo Schwartzberg. Um, he had gone back to a company he started, you know, 13 years before, but had left to go on and create a different company. It was a special effects company called Chaos and really cool, really cool company, great culture, a lot of fun work. Um, they were doing a lot of IMAX uh, work. They did like oh, wow. Lawnmower Man and some of the early CG uh, films. And um, But he, he came back into it when it was in a pretty rough shape. And we met at that time and he said, hey, you know, how about you come on and uh, help me rescue this thing or take it apart and uh if we rescue it you can pick any job you want kind of thing wow. <laughs> so uh i was like yeah sure and uh <laughs> and, and i liked him he he had something about him um you know kind of uh, he's older than me he's 20 years older than me he'd been around a block a lot you know he was good at seeing what's special in people and looking for ways to kind of encourage them um and i felt that uh, vibe kind of turned on me and and hadn't had very many mentors or kind of um, <clears throat> big brothers in life. Yeah. And, uh, so we went in, tried to fix it. It was it was you know under so much lease debt that we pretty soon realized oh we just have to gracefully take this thing apart. Yeah. So we're the last ones out the door, and <clears throat> I was looking to kind of maybe continue into some more special effects work and um got a job offer and i don't know the week before i i accepted or was going to start i can't remember 
he called me up and he said, does it feel like we're done yet? And I was like, yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, kind of famous last words, we started up um, Sweet Rush and we started off initially being more general web development, PR marketing, um, and stumbled into a learning project. Someone called us out of the blue and said, hey, can you do e-learning? And we're like, you know, what, whatever we're using, <laughs> Yahoo or whatever, what's e-learning? <laughs> you know? um, and uh, we're like, oh, this is kind of interesting. We looked yeah, around us. How could that be? Yeah, right? You know? And we looked around us, and, you know, like, there was Digital Think, which was a big early player. Oh, they were they yeah, right yeah. down the road from us kind of thing. Um, and But we were getting started right when the dot-com crash happened. Um, so it was kind of a surreal time to be in the Bay Area starting a tech-based company. Um, but a lot of free furniture and computers. Um, and we stumbled <laughs> on this learning gig and we and we said yeah sure we can do e-learning we you know it was in flash at that time yeah, yeah, and yeah. uh you know i i did the project management and the creative direction and a lot of the graphic design and <laughs> worked with a couple other guys to uh program it and uh delivered it you know fingers crossed and they came back they're like this is the best thing we've ever seen what? <laughs> huh, this is interesting. They're like, can you take some more? So we, we went for it, and it didn't take us long to realize there were a lot of things about it that we liked. Like, we, we really loved the people that we were interacting with. Like, I, used to, it's not as much anymore. I mean, not to say I don't love the people still, but at the time, it was kind of like teachers gone corporate. You know, like yeah, 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 yeah. The deep people were, you know, the, you know. So there was this, I don't know, there was this educator mindset, um, real service kind of mindset, which I loved. I, I really loved that. I loved working with that type of people, <clears throat> and um, also it was interesting because, you know, it was a time where it was right after a time where all the initial information technology work was going into, you know. Um, virtual storefronts, you know, like anyone who knew anything and even oh, those this kind of thing. And yeah, it's yeah. just like, but now it was suddenly free to kind of like seep into other parts of human society, like learning, which mm -hmm. you know, I, I, you know, obviously have a shine for. Um, so we, yeah, we, we realized, oh, this, this is going somewhere. This is going to grow. And there aren't a lot of players around. Um, it's all Wild West. It's all pioneering. But it's also like the elevation or kind of distribution of a skill set that, um, in terms of educating, uh, teaching, and learning design, that, you know, wasn't as, isn't as celebrated as it, as it should be in my mind. Correct. Yeah. You know, certainly our teachers aren't paid enough. <laughs> um, you know, uh, society leans on them pretty heavy. Um, and to a certain degree, early L&D being leaned on, you know, for some pretty meager offerings, not as much as what they could end up doing. Yeah. Um, largely, you know, tactical. Help us avoid a sexual lawsuit, um, a sexual sure. harassment yeah, lawsuit. Or and cover up stuff like that. But... <clears throat> At a certain point, um, and I like to think we, you know, played our small part in it. Um, 
you know, L&D started showing up as a strategic player, you know, someone who could make significant changes, not just, you know, help avoid losses. And that's when I think the work got really super exciting, like mm -hmm. suddenly to be an essential part of implementing, you know, um, human centered strategies um, to help performance, to make better leaders, to, you know, and so we got more and more interested in the higher end of of uh, e-learning or distance learning. And that has just steadily become more and more exciting as technology has caught up to all the good ideas and different disciplines have integrated, you know, multimedia design and different technology, you know, um, design thinking, agile, like all these really exciting methodologies. You know, now there's budget, timeline, et cetera, to, you know, do all that stuff in an exciting way. So it's a long way from that, you know. Mm initial flash project yeah um, <laughs> i was talking to someone yeah. last last night and you, you know in the early days people didn't even know what what do you mean well e-learning what <laughs> and i used to kind of like say you know for the price of your print budget <laughs> i can create something right and um and it could be distributed at the press of a button and you can see who did what at least right you know the old aicc days yeah. And um, I had to download some tools and build some stuff because we didn't have any clients, right? <laughs> so I had to actually go, it, it'll kind of look like this. Yeah. yeah. Here's a multi-choice question, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, right. Going, wow, okay. No, you click on it. You have a go. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was the Wild West, but it's funny, though, because I know your your approach and your, e or, and your ethos, I, I think that's a happy accident that we, I think we share the same ethos and whenever any of our folks have, connected with your folks they're like wow you know kind of sweet yeah. inspired group like kind of our, our long lost brothers and sisters yeah and, you know brother from another mother or something i don't know yeah, but gosh. um but but coming out of process stuff your processes and ours are kind of pretty similar too right mm -hmm. and and, yep. and i don't know is that did, did we both invent them in a vacuum or, or or we didn't but we just kind of didn't realize or you know it's it's fascinating yeah maybe yeah. it's come from instructional systems design and then we've kind of morphed it from there maybe yeah, and I think also there's something about the common desire to push upward in terms of what you can do with it. It, yeah. it pulls you out of some of the, you know, the traditional um, design development models like Addy and starts yeah. getting you trying to say, okay, well, it really would be good if these disciplines weren't happening in silos, throwing it over to the fence to the next guy, you know. Yeah be good if they were all together and like mm -hmm. up with a really creative way to you know bring all those disciplines together and i do feel like that's that's been a big part of the journey has been discovering ways to bring people from different disciplines together you know find their shared values mm -hmm. find a common craft um, that is reliant on one another and help each other understand each other's language in an equitable way. Yeah, um, yeah, spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably one. You, you know, one of the biggest shifts that I've seen. You know, not just at Inspire Group, but with our customers too. And you know, we're doing a piece of work at the moment. You know, defining, you know, the science of learning, but also what are some other multidisciplined um, or, or other disciplines that actually help us craft great learning you, you know and you know you mentioned um users you know human-centered design or um some um media stuff you know which is kind of fascinating but yeah that, that, i suppose on reflection that's one of the changes that we've definitely seen there's more people in the room in the early days 
from a different from a different camp, right? Yeah. And then we go, yeah. oh, is it is it comms or learning? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's something yeah. that's going to influence the way what someone believes or what they might end up doing. So you know. And and I think also like as we've gotten better at adding, like at a certain point we realized. Um, you know, there's there's a say from the instructional design um, discipline, like there's a whole science and methodology and art form there that spans, uh, mm. you know, you know, really thousands of years. <laughs> or, huh? Yeah, yeah. The, the, Socratic, know, the Socratic method of inquiry or yeah. something. Yeah, let's. So there's a lot of there's a lot of tools. There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of convention there's you know it's it's everything you get in an older discipline Mm. Um, and um you know earlier on it was like we felt kind of like uh, arturo used to always joke we're like we're like the church of jesus christ without jesus christ you know like like we didn't have a lot of instructional design know-how and so we relied on partners to kind of bring that that craft to the table and eventually understood it and eventually onboarded it and eventually built out a, a great team and we have a great team. And as that team has matured and, and gotten involved in, you know, more and varied um, learning projects, they've started saying, Oh, you know, it'd be really good if we got like someone who's super into story, let's go mm-hmm. see what it would take to bring someone who's focused their craft on story and narratology or something like that and you know bring them in teach them some of the kind of foundational pieces of instructional design and see what happens and Mm. voila like some really amazing things happen it's not to say anything bad about the the traditionally educated instructional designers or the ones who came out of instructional technology where they had already brought those things together but i i think i see on a pretty regular basis the team having an appetite to add new skill sets and bring them into the craft and and trust themselves to kind of set those folks up for a successful transition to add something new to the mm-hmm. discipline. Uh, I, I, that's always fun to see. Yeah, I, I think too, you know, and I know you guys are at a certain scale and I think once you get to that scale, that gives you that opportunity to do that, yeah. you, you know, so yeah. it's not like that person's only going to be ending up doing three days a week or three three hours a week. There you right. Go. Three days of, right. Three days of yeah that's yeah and what so what what are some of the um i guess some of the things that you you guys are dealing with at the moment in terms of um you know client challenges you know i know you can't talk too much about the the clients in particular you know what what are some of the clients asking you guys to do what are some of the great questions some of the smarter ones are asking you folks and are you talking specific to like the whole covid reality or whatever you know like like i I think some of the interesting challenging projects there you go maybe that's yeah there are a couple interesting things i mean the the covid related stuff obviously there have been um industries and we have clients in some of these industries i know you do as well who've been you know hit harder and that's been that's been sad for the team Mm -hmm. i mean we we've built most of our business on word of mouth and then establishing a good brand. And um, so we typically get into a client and we stay there and we get in deeper and deeper and they become our friends, you know? And um, so it's been, that's been sad. Um, Mm. 
to, mm-hmm. to, you know, go through that. The team has been very, um, focused on communicating with those folks. Hey, you know, we'll get back to it. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we'll keep the fire burning kind of thing. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and compassionate, which has been pretty beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, obviously great need and pressure for the medical community, especially yeah. infectious disease folks. So we've gotten a chance to dive into some, you know, just like, Hey, this is happening now. We need to expand, um, training offerings to all these medical professionals that, you know, sure they might've studied it on some level at some point, but they never worked in it. And, um, mm-hmm. now they all have to understand, you know, um, detailed granular safety, procedures and equipment and things so like really that practical sort of stuff huh yeah so we got involved with um a couple um i'm not going to mention the names because i'm not sure if under contract i can but um, mm-hmm. a couple groups that are connected to um um large-scale um treatment and research yeah. uh, for infectious diseases pandemics etc so these are research arms and training arms of those of those um, groups, and it, you know they recognize, hey, you know we're going to have doctors, nurses, janitors, everybody in these facilities mm-hmm. suddenly have like they need to know now, you know, yeah. like yesterday, you know, a year ago, you know. <laughs> um, so we got to dive in and support their hard work and their stepping up to the moment and do our little part, and that's been pretty exciting. I mean. Yeah. It, to be able to, you know, I think on so many levels in, in this situation, there's a sense of powerlessness, but also desire to help and to help yeah. move through. Yeah. So we get to put our craft to work. Um, so That's we've had a couple of those projects, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, like um, you and I acknowledged, um, the move to virtual learning is like an avalanche. It's a, mm-hmm tsunami it's yeah it's huge and it's not just for this moment why we all have to sit in our homes and work from home kind of thing uh it's anticipated from pretty much everywhere that we can see mm-hmm. that you know coming back is going to be different um either coming back is going to be different because people have had a taste of you know being at home with their family and maybe they don't think about productivity quite the same way they they yeah. want it they want it more integrated with life uh, in terms of knowledge workers or digital workers, people who can work, who have that option. So I've had a handful of conversations with some folks in larger organizations and there, there are a lot of them are having the same discussions. Like what do we want this to look like? And yeah. part of it would be at least part-time at home. Um, I've heard some people say, I'm never going back to work. I'm going to yeah. find a job that I can, you know, like be at home all the time. I love seeing my family more. I love to mm. not have to commute, um, all that kind of stuff. So I think there's anticipation that that kind of virtual, you know, the need for virtual learning and other virtual connectivity to, you know, stay productive on projects and collaborative on projects, um, is, is going to increase. And I think that then there's also the whole procedural thing, you know, like you're saying, um, you know, there's going to be a period where people have to take their temperatures coming back to work or, you know, it's like, how do you help people navigate this complexity Mm. as they, 
as they move back into whatever comes next. Um, and I think a lot of that's going to rely on, you know, good training um, and communications to support whatever that is. And, and, and also discover it, you know, like mm. what that looks like, um, you know, leaders have to take on new skill sets. Sales professionals have to take on new skill yeah. sets. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've been doing, we've been virtual for 10 years now. Um, so it's, there's a lot of it that's, you know, just well, woven. Well, well, I missed that. I registered for your, um, your virtual session, but it was like at three in the morning. And I thought, <laughs> if I can't sleep, I'll, yeah. kind of, I'll check it out. But man, I was like sleeping like yeah. a baby. Right? <laughs> well, not that baby sleep that much at all. Um, but I was sleeping like a, I don't know, like a like a like a teenager. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so so what made you guys want to want to switch to virtual ten years? That was kind of a bold move, right? Well, it was. Um, we had been pretty committed to office spaces. Um, we loved our office spaces. We mm. had one in the Mission District in San Francisco, which is like kind of hip area. It was a lot of fun. Um, then we moved to this kind of rougher area but up and coming this place called dog patch in san francisco what's that yeah she actually the parking the parking was free oh my god well you know that's that's important we we factored in how much money we fed into meters in the old place when we were looking at rent prices so yeah or you know the tickets we'd get if we didn't get out But, um, yeah, and also it was a warehouse space and we got to, you know, do it up on it. It was cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. The recession hit and, um, it hit, definitely hit us hard. Um, we had to lay off almost everybody and the handful of us that were there were kind of like, this is kind of depressing. (laughs) So we, we all kind of started working from home a little bit here and there. And eventually we're like, yeah, we, we need to reduce the cost. And most of us just wanted to, you know, work from home and, and just kind of mend our minds and hearts from that experience. And, um, and I took it as like, I, I had a two year old at the time and I was like this, if I, if I'm ever gonna get out of San Francisco, this might be the moment. Yeah. Um, and I love San Francisco. I grew up there. It's a great city. Uh, it's just one of my favorite places on the planet. It's changed a lot, you know, since I was a kid, but whatever, there's still lots of places, lots of aspects to it that I love. We have family there, friends. Um, but I, I wanted to raise my kids somewhere closer to a little more wilderness. And, um, so we found this little town up North and as we started adding people back, we added them virtually, and we, then we realized, oh, this is this might be doable. Um, and we especially liked the idea that we could get talent from anywhere. You know, they didn't have to be in San Francisco, which is a super expensive area anyhow to live, and therefore salaries are higher. Um, and you know, we it's not like we we operate in a super high margin business, wow. <laughs> especially if you want to keep bettering the craft, you're always investing in it. Um, so, you know, we, we, um, uh, you know, we had a, a, a small team in Costa Rica still, and we had a even smaller team in the U S that we rebuilt from, and we just kept adding virtually. And, and at a certain point it just became who we were like, we, we 
um, we we opened a um, office in Costa Rica, I think last year, specifically to support um, the work that we do in virtual reality and AR because the equipment really, you know, you, you need to be around it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then we just took that chance to kind of like get a bigger space so that, you know, anyone in the Costa Rica area could go in and, you know, hang out and have parties oh, and yeah, do, yeah. do work groups and meetings together. So, you know, cool, cool, uh, work party house kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but other than that, stayed virtual, um, have people all over the world. And I, I love the multicultural aspect that it, that it offers as well. Um, cause it just allows you to search for the right person anywhere, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah cause I, I, I was someone the other day and I'd, I think virtual, I think there's been, you know, there's benefits, you know, not just not working in the office, but you know, there's so many meetings you can now go to or so many ways you can collaborate and interact with people. And, you know, we used Microsoft Teams and we set that up a while while back in response to the earthquakes that we're having in Wellington. We thought, oh man, this is, you know, we're going to have to work from home because, you know, we're going to have a big earthquake. (laughs) But something else happened. And then we all had to work from home. Right. But, um, yeah, you you know, the way, and every meeting pretty much starts on the dot, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know? I can't. I don't know. I I just think that there's some definite benefits from yeah. working this way, and you know we're we're going to go to a hybrid model, and many of our customers are too. Yeah. But um, you know, being able to interface with tech, you know, it's, it's a bit like you know the old science fiction stuff. You know, you you, you know, you said, I don't know, in the fifties and sixties, it'll like have these um, video phones or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're doing now, right? It's like, well, that kind of that was easy. Yeah, and well, why not get the benefits of it instead of just like yeah. having it drive us harder? You know, mm. I mean, I I do like. I mean, part part of what I loved giving up was the commute. Like yeah. the commute was it a big, was it a big commute for you? Was it like it wasn't far, yeah. but the traffic in San Francisco had gotten such that I was looking at forty five minutes for you know. If there was no traffic, I'd be there in 10, 50 minutes. Like it just, oh, wow. yeah, know, okay, yeah. It got heavy, and then you know, spend time looking for parking, and you know, mm. it just it was getting a little, a little oppressive. You know, especially like I mean, any time I think you're in a production environment. I mean, all work to a certain degree is stressful. Production and service combined is a particular form of stress that's intense you know like it, it, it whether you're hands-on in production or you lead a team that's in production there's always some challenge mm-hmm. you know and, and you're serving a, a myriad of clients at different industries and do with different temperaments and um you know we we love our clients we really take service seriously and so you know our team really steps up and so that means stressful. Sometimes it means long hours. And it's like to compound that with you got to do the commute and you got to do the parking and you got to run your errands, you know, like, you know, it, it just it it feels easier just to, um, you know, like my daughter, who's now uh, 13. Yeah, I, I can pop out between meetings and see her, you know, yeah, that's you know so- she's like one of the lights of my life. I mean, yeah, yeah. 
want to give that up in the middle of my day. You know? well, I was thinking too, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago, everyone worked from home, right? Yep. <laughs> so the, 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 you know, and then the Industrial Revolution, and hey, yeah. why don't we build these these rows and rows of commodore tenement houses, and, and then they can just wander down to the factory, and it's kind of like, so it's, I don't know, you know, I don't know where, what span of history we want to take, but it's a relative. Yeah. But, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a question, right? What benefits do we want to take? Yeah. You know, like what, you know, I, and I mean, I, I think this is an interesting moment because you, you get to ponder like, yeah, what, what do I want to, what do I want to make next? You know, especially mm -hmm. if you're in a place of leadership um, mm -hmm. where you can, where you, you know, are at the helm or at least get to facilitate discussions about culture and workplace, you know, work-life balance, yeah. you know, like it's a new opportunity to really just say, you know, what's going to enrich my people's life so that when they're at work, whether it's at home or, you know, here, mm. like their, their families are taken care of. They, they have some sort of balance. They have a way to offset the stress. They, you know, it's just a good moment to kind of rethink mm. some of that, I think, um, and really listen, listen to your people and um, pay attention to what, you know, I mean, I don't even think we've seen some of the solutions um, that we've been wanting for a long time, but now we're going to start to get to think about them and try some new things. Yeah. So this disruption as as tragic and sad as it is on a lot of levels, mm -hmm. um, you know, really gives us an opportunity. Uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine, and I know one of your questions was around the most impactful learning. Don't worry about it. Oh, I, I just thought I'd seen you some bullet points. And, no, I know, but I you know, got me. So, so I'd seen prepared, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but it was a good question. It was a good question. I was like, well, what what are the most ex important learning experiences of my life? And and I realized that they either had to do with love or suffering. Yeah. And um and when I was talking to Aaron, um, who you know heads yeah. up our SA team. Um, she's like, there's something powerful when they're combined, when someone mm -hmm. who, you know, loves or cares about you can be there while you're going through a, a difficult or challenging situation, whether it's work yeah. or personal mm -hmm. and at, attend you, like give you pieces of learning that will help you through that time. Like those things are transformative and they, you know, and they have a good retention, Yeah, you know, um, so I think this is one of those times if we're if we're fortunate enough to be a leader or be supported by a leader or mentor who um, truly cares, you know, to be there at this time and help people learn the, you know, new skills and the kind of deeper thoughts they need to think to get through it, what things to rely on, what things to, you know, that doesn't really matter, um, you know, like to help point that way, I think is a. You know, and also just the amount of lessons, uh, learning opportunities that come to us, you know, whether it's thinking more deeply about our communities, thinking about the bigger problems, you know, uh, climate change and poverty. It's like, you know, it's a moment, it's a shared human moment to kind of imagine something different and even get to work on some some different things in different ways. So, mm. I don't want to say I would I would welcome a pandemic every year because I certainly wouldn't. Um, but I think it's an opportunity to make the best of it and 
making the best of it means, you know, we could get to rethink some things, including the field of learning. I think the field of learning is going to emerge from this in a different place, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, a, oh, everyone's got a, uh, I, I try not to read, I actually try not to go into LinkedIn too much either, to be honest, it kind of does my head in a little bit. <laughs> Great. And, and, and also, you know, articles about experts predicting their future, they didn't predict this one, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Just like, you know, when the GFC, the, the various recessions we've both lived through, no one saw it coming, how about that, you know, but they've all got yeah. some cool ideas of what's yeah. going to happen next. Um, but yeah, it does feel like a, a, a reset in a way, because people have had to, right? and they didn't have a choice. Well, they kind of didn't have a choice and they didn't. And, and, you know, New Zealand's a little different. I think most of us, almost without exception, 99.19% probably went willingly. Yep, yeah, okay, we hear that. Let's hunker down and, you know, and that, that's that's the way we're going to get out of this. Yeah. Which was fascinating. Um, but, yeah, I think it is a reset, you know, and people will probably readjust what their priorities might be, you know. Do I need to buy that thing? Yeah. Or do I really need to go on that trip? And I know, you know, tourism is important for New Zealand, but, you know, or maybe, maybe I'll, I'll do that trip in a different way or, you yeah. know, this is, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's de definitely resetting of priorities. Whether or not yeah. th there's that political will to then make that a reality, I guess. Mind you, one might argue that political will is the collective will. So, well, <laughs> that's scary, right? Uh, I'm a I'm a fan of Jeremy Rifkin's work, um, the uh, sociologist economist guy. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that he said in connection to his latest work, which is, you know, it's it's not utopian, but it's basically like here's what the next level could look like. Yeah. Um, where we're more efficient from an economical perspective. But we're also um, solving a lot of the problems that are plaguing human society as a whole, including poverty and resources and climate change and things like that. And, and he's like, OK, so the hump between here and there, because most of the stuff there we can do like we yeah. we know we have the technology or what's yeah. right within grasp or whatever. Um, but the the shift he initially puts positions as will but then he says really what it is is the shift in human consciousness yeah that um to a certain degree you know it, it it is about going from seeing you know um the vulnerable as play prey yeah, <laughs> and yeah, powerful yeah. as predator to a shared human experience mm -hmm. that you know we all born we all work we yeah. all get sick we all die, we all return to dust, right? We're all in that exact same situation. And uh, we all have a need for love. We all have a need for respect. Um, we all have a need to have some meaning and purpose in our lives. Like the, sh the human condition is a shared condition um, in, in desperately different situations, circumstances right now. Yeah. And um, what it takes to get to that kind of next level of economic efficiency is a um is a sh is drawing a bigger circle around a bigger we you know yeah. like we are all in this together our whole planet yeah. is part of the living system that we're a part of and that supports our life and other life and if we can get to a place where we draw that circle around the whole planet suddenly things get different you know yeah. like suddenly so 
then the trick is how do we use what we have now to kind of push over that hump yeah. and get enough people into and you know you come from a, a culture that has a, a social democracy um you know my mm-hmm. my friends in europe the same thing uh, america is still very much sorting out um you know its fascination with fame and and wealth and you know still very much predator prey minded um still sorting out a lot of its um you know um bias towards white men <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. that they want in power you know um so I, I think some of us have bigger hurdles than others from you know our corners of the globe, but the but it is a shared uh, a shared hurdle to get over. I do think that learning and development has a big role to play, mm. um, you know, and and so we've intentionally tried to point our skill set at supporting organizations or causes, whether for profit or nonprofit, that have a kind of a human centered or life centered mindset. And at least some awareness about their impact on the world around them, and wanting to become mm-hmm. better stewards of that. Um, so you know, business has the power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so working with business to you know, to kind of like elevate that awareness, I think is important. Important, important work at this time for our kids and for our grandkids' worlds. Um, I think you know. Uh, you know, and the, the idea of shifting the dial and, you know, with our customers we work with and, you know, I was mentioning earlier before we hit record, you know, the government clients that we work with, you know, ultimately they want better outcomes for people, right? Ultimately, right. You know, they, they want, want to make New Zealand a better place. Happier, healthier, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, you know, and, and I know it's New Zealand-centric because that, that's, you know, taxpayers and all, all that. But I find that work for our folks really engaging too, right? To go, wow, you know, da, da, da. you know, it might be, you know, um, road safety, uh, kids in care, um, you, you know, and all of that. And, and you go, uh, you, or even, you know, security of our, of our institutions, you know, if you, if you kind of um, extend that. But I, I kind of think too, you know, a couple of points you made is sometimes people look at others and, and they're always talking about the differences and not the commonalities, right? You know, and they go, oh, I went to so-and-so. And, oh, these people are real different because blah, 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 right? And I, yeah. maybe it's part of the human psyche yeah. rather than going, oh, well, they, what's that Sting song? You know, I hope the Russians love their children. So, yeah. You know, Sting. Sting. Yeah. You, you know, and and so what have we got in common? We've got a whole lot more in common than we have different, right? Yeah. A whole lot more. But I, I don't know, what what, is that just a, a thing that people do? Does it sell more news? papers or something i don't know yeah i mean i think that you know we we have a tribal mindset to overcome mm-hmm. I mean, you know it's a survival instinct to belong yeah. you know belonging means safe so if you're in a if you're in a population where there are aggressors then making sure that you have numbers is important yeah so i think there's some primal to it but um there are certainly people um, and even parts of our culture that have, uh, I, I read this book, um, Paul Hawkins, Blessed Unrest. Um, I think the subtitle is like the, the largest movement in human history and why no one saw it coming kind of thing. (laughs) So he basically is kind of like, I've not heard of that book. Yeah. Well, he wrote, um, the ecology of commerce which yeah. was a big uh, early climate change awareness and business kind of thing. 
um, and and changed a lot of thinking. Um, so much so that he got on lecture circuits, right? Mm-hmm. So he's going around the world, he's lecturing to all these different groups. All these people would come up and hand him cards. You know, I'm from Save the Spotted Owl. I'm from oh, yeah. you know this that. And he, you know, he'd stick them, pop them in his bag, and when he'd go home, he'd dump them into a, um, you know, a, a file bin. And, um, you know, and at some point, he went into his closet and he realized like five bins of these yeah. cards. Oh. So he started pulling them out, and he's like, a lot of these are, have no connection with each other. And he's like, what, what's happening here? Like, this is huge. Um, there is like a there is a movement afoot. And so he started tracing it back and he said, what he asserts is that when the anti-slavery movements started um, in various parts of the planet, that the first time in human history, people were working and sometimes sacrificing life and fortune for um, the liberation of people they did not know and likely for generations they would not be a part of. So something happened in human consciousness that said, you know, we are part of a big tribe. We're a common tribe. And the same way that I might have sacrificed myself for my family, my biological family, Mm. you know, two, three hundred years earlier, but not, you know, Bob in, you know, Switzerland, you know, like, I I mean, what do I know about him? What is, you know, like... But for some reason, humanity started working on that behalf, and then they that rippled out to environmental movement and <clears throat> these different movements that basically said, we're standing up for life and the living right. system around us. We're going to work for it. We're going to put our money for it. We're going to dedicate our careers to it. Like It's going to be part of our meaning and purpose to, to be that whole tribe. So that, yeah. Yeah. you know, when you look at human consciousness development models like spiral dynamics... Um, there, there, you know, you can see this split in, in the human population right now, largely between people who are more draw the circle around the globe and people who are buying it a little bit smaller. Mm, mm, mm. Those of us who draw it around the globe might be like, why don't you get it together? Why don't you? Why don't you? No, you guys are the losers. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and and they're like, you stupid liberals, you know, like what you're thinking, like you're, you're not even taking care of your own, like. So there's this like intense debate between these two tribes um, who obviously are actually one tribe, mm. but um, but in terms of their consciousness level, you can't look into that consciousness of, uh, you know, I'll say it, a consciousness of a Trump supporter here in the United States. Oh, you had to go there, Andre. I did. Should yeah. I go away? Should I pull right back from that? No, I'll, I don't think so. <laughs> I think this is... <laughs> um, you know, some of which are my neighbors who I care about, you know, I even have family members, you know, like, and and it's like on one hand, I can get all judgy and um, condescend. On the other hand, I know these people to be moral people. Mm. So there's Mm -hmm. something going on for them in that level, in the consciousness level that they're operating at, or the importance of their tribe, you Mm. know, however small that might be, even if it's just down to them and their family. Right. Yeah, yeah. For people in to be, you know, have drawn that circle, however big, they're now responsible to attend that community. Yeah. And so a lot of people right now, and I think rightly so, have been left behind by globalization, have been left behind by people who, you know, maybe have a vision for um, 
you know, equity and reduction of poverty and all these things. But the transition and getting there to be a true global society is pretty brutal on a lot of people. And it's natural for people to protect their own life and limb and their own people. So I think part of part of the responsibility, if you want to be that global whole, is to work on the behalf of everybody and recognize that there's going to be a lot of pull anytime you leave someone behind. Yeah. You know, another reason why I like learning and development, because education helps lift people out of poverty. Like yeah. Yeah. that's proof, you know, yeah. um, opportunity helps people get out of poverty. And once you get people out of poverty and they start having the luxury of, you know, having time and energy to commit to making the world a better place, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, sure. you add, you add brawn and, and brain to that, to that struggle Mm. every person that you lift out of that and um you know these are all easy things for me to say sitting in my victorian home and a little in ferndale and safe and sound and not in poverty um Mm. so i have to maintain the awareness and consciousness that i have to go to work on behalf of my my fellow people that has to be part of my agenda you know if i want my kid growing up in a better world Mm. Mm. Oh, I think you, you know. There's a yeah. I, I got. I always got that from you. A sense of calling. I suppose you know when I found out you were in the armed forces, I thought, oh, you must have been a medic. That's right. I medically thought that <laughs> you must have been a medic, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a medic. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I think there is a um, you know, a real calling or a or some. I mean, it's kind of a cool way to to, to make a make a dollar, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, you know, yeah. Yeah, you want to get paid and, you know, we're both commercial entities and that's important. Keep the lights on and, and keep paying our people and all the rest of it. But um, I mean, we're all working on business models, right? You're, yeah. you're put it, we're putting all kinds of creative energy into how do we, you know, make money? Why not put the additional twist in there? Like, how can I make how can I build a viable business that has a good shot at some longevity that provide for the people that work for it and has some genuine service of good, mm. right? There's clearly a lot of need for good. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know one thing that surprised me is, you know, with our customers, they still want to talk about diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, and I thought, you know, I thought, well, well, that's going to go, you know, <laughs> You yeah, know, that, 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 that that won't be as important as it was um, pre-COVID. So, so um, they still want to talk about engagement with their people. Um, yeah, and I thought, well, and diversity and inclusion was was one of the one of the ones that that gave me heart. And I thought, wow, okay, so so they therefore must be serious about this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that. Well, it's interesting. So, um, the director of our culture and change group which is a you know a newer part of our business um and but something that's near and dear to our heart obviously in-person consulting gigs right now are not you know are not uh (laughs) being engaged but uh, so it's given her time to just start touching base with leaders the types of leaders that would have brought her in and ask like what what are you thinking what do you think about change and culture and values and 
diversity and inclusion and these sorts of things. What do you, what do you think they're, where do you think they're going to go? Most of them have basically said, well, hold on to your socks because we think that that's going to be big. Yeah. So wow. There's a lot of, a lot of big that's, questions. That's in the U is too, huh? Yeah. 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 Oh. A lot of big questions coming back into this. Mm. And a lot of those questions have to do with, you know, like having gone through this experience of our shared humanness across the entire globe, like, who are we now? You know, yeah. Yeah. what do we value yeah. now? My guess is if you went to uh, the Barrett Value Center, um, uh, a crew that I, is also near and dear to my heart, I think they do good work. And, and, and you took the Barrett Values Assessment before all this okay. and you take it a year after. I bet you see people wanting and asking for different things, mm-hmm. wanting their organizations to value things in a different way. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's my guess. Mm. Uh, I haven't talked to him yet. I, I actually yeah. curious to see what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that that work, and I just talked to a diversity and inclusion person not too long ago, someone who has an interesting spin on it. Um, it's not just kind of the, the typical, um, I, my sense is it shifts out of being all about, you know, you know, compliance and into authentic understanding that, you know, having a diverse and inclusive culture makes the, makes the team better, you know, makes them more and more um, powerful. Mm. Yeah. I, and I, yeah, I suppose from, from what we're seeing, it's not a, it's not a compliance trip. Well, no, it's not a compliance driven. That might've been what initiated it. Yeah. 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 What, what got, and you know maybe years ago or whatever yeah it's more it's more um yeah what how can we shift the dial on this stuff guys because yeah. we're going to be a better organization because of it you know yeah yeah more effective you know not just you know more more inclusive yeah. and we're all going to feel good about each other but we're going to be more effective as well well and um, and your people are are big world travelers you know it's like we how much do you learn when you go to another culture you learn so much like you appreciate what you have in a different way you you challenge a lot of your assumptions yeah. you know you you get to see how other people look at things from a different angle or a different set of cultural assumptions so if it's welcoming for everybody to come to the table then you get all that you know the more yeah. you people off of that table then you just get homogeneity and the same problems all the time <laughs> yeah. and the same solutions uh, that you yeah. do or don't work, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And trying to, um, you know, I was talking to a client the other day and I said, you know, one of the, th- cause we always learn when we do the work, right? So we're not, we, you know, we're creating learning and that's all cool, but we, you know, there's always stuff that we learn on the way through. And one of the things that I said, you know, one of the cool things about, about this project is I'm, as I'm learning to try to look at the world through a different cultural lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah which is you know because you have this assumption you know when i guess when you're younger like well everyone sees the world this way and or, or why don't they maybe <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and then when you're trying to um well i think you can at least make an attempt and i don't think you're ever going to be that successful but yeah just try to look at these problems through a different lens and you go okay okay you know or at least appreciate that other people have different yeah. lenses right you know yeah and um yeah no it's fascinating Sorry, we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, you know uh, have we gone off topic? I don't know. Have we? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. 
I, I, I think I have a habit of doing pulling people off topic. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, I love I, I, I love I love <laughs> conversations. Um wind. Um now I, look I realize we'd kind of booked an hour and we've probably taken um at, at least that, which is fantastic and I, I and I love it. I think um maybe in in, in some sort of summary and wrap up, you know, we always kind of search for that stuff, right? Because as human beings, we like to kind of put a full stop or some complete. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, but, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe what do you think your the, the biggest opportunity will be for for for, for the L? There we go. Let, let, let's go global, right? L and D, right? Sometimes maligned, sometimes <laughs> celebrated. And possibly both occasions, rightly so. Um, what do you think the what, what should our global kind of focus and goal be? Um, I think it would be having the right questions. Mm. Um, I, and I think those questions should be as big as we can stretch ourselves to yeah. get. I think the fundamental question actually submerged you know more and more crystallized is like can l and d be part of changing that human consciousness mm -hmm. can we can can could could we get to could we genuinely contribute directly and indirectly to you know doing that work that would get us you know in a place where we could collectively do the right things um, and yeah. I think there's a question also for L&D that's related to business, which is, mm. you know, can can business like other fields have been, other human endeavors have been, can some aspect of it emerge as a hero? Like, is yeah. this a hero's journey or is this just a diversion? Is this yeah. just a tangent? You know, mm. is capitalism just some wild out of control idea? Yeah. Or is it a great tool that can be used mm. to solve the important questions mm. so, or important problems? So I think those big questions are really yeah. like, those are at the doorstep of our industry. They're at the doorstep of our economic systems. Mm. And I think most businesses are at, beginning to ask like, or, or beginning to understand the shape of the challenge you know, of transitioning from a value system that's focused on capital to mm -hmm. a value system that's focused on life and living systems yeah. and enriching those and making those plentiful and abundant mm -hmm. and having a vision um, and doing the work to make that transition. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, to me, it's about having those right questions and all of us might have a different version or piece of that but asking those questions like, how can I apply my craft, which happens to be L&D and, and associated crafts, to the, the meaningful problems? Yeah. So, you know, we can experience being, you know, heroes, and not yeah. just consumers, you know? <laughs> I love uh, it. That, that, that's a, yeah, that's really got me thinking. Actually. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a great thing about living with good questions is that it gets you thinking. You're not spending as much being time being stressed about out about silly stuff, and you're like, right. you know, you have a good mystery to solve. You know, <laughs> it's a great mystery. Hey, well, um, thank you so much, Andre, for your time. Um, it's always, a, always a, a enlightening um, talking to you. 
um, yes. w- whenever we do that.